Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This is Dumby Dum, the show about the reality docudrama drama that has centered on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the completely out of touch BL board member who is Royfield Brown, and with me are the overprivileged face of Borsetshire Land who is Peter Fickling, and the heartless one amongst us who is Kerry Warbus. And the last part, the Borchester Echo article, folks is you are lovely listeners and this week's dumby dum is from jeff so thank you for that rather deep sonorous lovely whiskey voice you got there jeff on this week's episode here views from red agnes sue matthew weir he's back from north portugal jen in ireland audrey Anne from north carolina and queen bee by the sea but first it's amber's week that was ambridge hello dumpty dum i'm amber and on this week in ambridge Susan's radio show ambitions are firmly buried as she hopes a journalist will help her win her radio show back. Unfortunately, the journalist twists her words to make it sound like all she wants is her radio show back. What ever happened to journalistic integrity? Chris crushes his hand in his van door in a totally understandable act of self-harm at the prospect of having to spend an evening with Peggy. Emma declares giving birth to her kids as the best days of her life. Even for the most stoic of antenatal hearts, I found myself rather melted. In a follow-up to plans that make you look suspicious as hell, Kirsty's latest course of action is to attempt to convince Shula to use her status as a spiritual counsellor to get the goods on Philip. 
what could possibly go amiss about this? And that was the week in Ambridge. Thank you for that, Amber. Now, folks, it's the point you've all been waiting for. It's the hot topic of the week. And this week's hot topic is just what is the story of Tony Archer? Mm. Uh, Let's start with you, aren't you, Kerry? Because I believe you've got a theory or two. Well, yes. I think the seed was sown with Peggy's birthday message for us all, really, wasn't it? Where we were kind of shocked, to say the least, about her saying, you know, you were unexpected. You're not like your sisters at all. You're dull and so on. It wasn't a great write up by mummy, was it? Um, And then I saw someone tweeted that they wondered whether Tony is actually not Jack's son and that perhaps this explains Peggy's kind of detachedness from Tony a little bit. So then I I got to thinking, well, maybe there could be some legs in this. So I I did a little bit of research and um, I looked back at the fact that Jack and Peggy went to Cornwall for a little while. Now, the dates may all be completely wrong um, because they tried to set up a a farm with this chap called Barney Lee, who was um, a friend of Jack's. The reason they packed that all in was because Barney Lee took a shine to Peggy. So I was just wondering, it might not be Barney Lee, who's Tony's dad, but maybe someone else is. And this is something that Peggy's going to reveal to us. Maybe not on his 70th. (laughs) (laughs) but um it might explain a few things is barney still alive Mm. obviously june the actress or i can't remember her surname she is uh, spencer um, she deserves a last hurrah in terms of a big plot line and it would kind of make sense that they would give her something you know meaty like this to kind of get stuck into one of the things I was saying to Kerry um earlier on today was that uh, i don't i think that people will be shocked by how unupset um Tony will be by the message or by, you know, everyone else is getting upset about um about um Peggy and Tony. And actually he's probably quite fine with it. He's kind of he's made peace um uh, with the whole situation with his mother, you know, long ago. We heard all of that with the sort of when he was um upset about a year ago. Was it a year ago? A couple of years ago. But uh, uh yeah, I think that it would make sense that um there's this you know, there's this deep dark secret that Peggy's been carrying for years and that maybe it all comes comes to a head. Mm. I, I don't know. If I go back to the whole will thing, mm. Tony felt really marginalised and and forgotten, and that she didn't regard him as a farmer or as a as a business person. So I think it, it runs deep. But I, I think you could well be onto something here, Kerry. But if I remember back to the eighties and then and the nineties when I first started listening to this, I don't remember there being any animosity between Tony and his mother. It's something which the script writers have um, fostered Mm. in the last 15 years or so. And it's great that they are, but I don't remember it going back all that time. But whenever there is some level of a family incident and the family needs to gather, then you realise that Peggy marginalises Tony, you know, looks over him, though Mm. she has a great relationship with Tom. And that was actually part of their friction in the late noughts that Peggy was very supportive of Tom and his business endeavours and him being sausage boy. 
yeah and and said you'll be you're a great businessman you're out there you're thrusting going for it whilst your dad's a bit of a dullard really you know <laughs> messing around with his organic farm Natasha and Tom were obviously outraged when they heard uh, Peggy's message but I have to ask myself the question I can't imagine ever disapproving of or being upset with my little boy I can see no future where I would be upset but but being Tony my turning into Tony is probably a pretty good way to challenge that I mean, you know, I would, I'm not, you know, to, I, I don't want him to be a Tom Archer either. In fact, any of the archers, but, but we've, we've covered that ground many, many times, but no, I mean, I can't think of anything, you know, I, 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 he'd have to lose for my little boy to turn into Tony Archer. He'd have to lose all life and it all zip zest and all of the kind of the, 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 the winning smile, the sparkly eyes, it would all have to die and sort of turn into a kind of like pudding-like moribund potato-y creature. So, you know, I can see why Peggy's a bit disappointed. It's interesting that he's, you know, he, he grew up with Peggy as his mum, Jennifer and Lillian as his sisters, older sisters. He's the youngest, isn't he? Yeah. Um, then married Pat and has Helen as a daughter. <laughs> and, uh, and then Tom. In that's fact, I don't ma- know which way around Helen and Tom are. I can't remember. I mean, that's out yeah. of the that's out of the frying pan and into the fire, isn't it? Um, moving mm-hmm. out of uh, the Lillian, Jennifer, and Peggy's home and in, in with Pat. That's quite. Yeah, he he's obviously been surrounded by the strong women and then attached himself to another one, didn't he? Which kind of does explain more his um, love of the beavering away in his workshop at making miniature Holliton junctions yeah, and, and having some control over the, the creation of those because he's probably not had that much say in other things in his life. I mean, it took someone as unsympathetic as Justin to make Tony seem sort of triumphant standing in the middle of his giant train set with his perfect little Holliton Junction and kind of, you know, I don't know, and that that's me in the red jumper at the top of the hill, yeah. you know, all of that. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I mean, Justin came across very, very badly this week, but I mean, if they put almost any other character in there, it would have been like, oh dear, Tony, come on. Justin actually said that he felt a bit jealous of Tony because he's okay in his slow lane and he's really easily pleased. It was so patronising, wasn't it? Obviously, Justin was being patronising and condemning him, but I think there is something to be said for that. I, I, I definitely could be a bit more Tony-like. I, th- I think I should be more Tony-like. I think a lot more people should be Tony-like in that regard. Mm-hmm. If they, you know, find something that find something that makes them happy and embrace it. It's just set in relief to this story about his childhood with Peggy. Tragic little. I'm basically. I'm not saying that building train sets is in in and of itself tragic. No. I'm saying that doing it to hide from you know the gargoyle that is Pat Archer is slightly <laughs> pathetic. So who is Tony's dad? <laughs> well, um, obviously we've got to look at it's men of a certain age. So you've got Bert Fry, Joe Grundy. Mm. Um, I would love it to be Joe Grundy. You know. Um, oh yes. Um, he, you know he's out. He's caught scrumping by a young. <laughs> young Peggy and <laughs> their eyes meet you know all Aramis's and all that stuff <laughs> but the thing is it, the resentment thing Peggy's resentment towards Tony um, if it was someone she actually wanted to cop off with then there wouldn't be that much resentment would there would there oh know. yes but it could be that classic thing Kerry whereby she's always reminded of uh, an indiscretion when she sees Tony yeah yeah that's true. A love lost. A love he's, lost. He's pricking her conscience. Pardon? For the sake. For the... He, he's pricking her conscience with every. 
for the for the sake for the sake of her love of her uh, two little girls, she puts down she puts down a, an affair, a, a true love to you know stick around with Jack and um, mm-hmm. and you know bring up Tony. Well, if I, the thing is, if Jack Archer, because he was an, an alcoholic, wasn't he? Because he uh, when he they started running the bull, I think he start took a liking to the um, stuff that they were selling in the bull a bit too much. Maybe he he went off the rails. He went away for a while as well, didn't he, for some retreat or psychiatric help or something. So maybe she did have an indiscretion. I do think this is a stunning theory. I I really do. And I've got to give you 10 out of 10, putting the cat amongst the pigeons, so to speak, because I hadn't thought about this at all. And, And the other thing to remark, the reason why this has some level of plausibility is that Tony is the youngest out of the siblings, yeah. And he doesn't act like it. He acts like the eldest. Mm. You know, it's supposed to be that the youngest is the carefree one, the fun one. So by this reckoning, looking at those three, Jennifer, Lillian and Tony, Lillian should actually be the youngest. You know, she's the fun one. She's the one where when she came, the parents didn't really care, you know, had had less boundaries, etc. Mm. And with the first child is where you devote much more of your energies because, you know, you, you don't know what, you, what the hell you're doing. So you watch them like a hawk. So that child ends up being conservative. So that should be Tony. The dull one is the first yeah. one. So there is... De- so but, <laughs> <laughs> but someone will ring up going no 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 that can't possibly be the case because x y and z yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, has happened you know they'll they'll just poo poo this notion somehow i'm sure but someone who knows um, all the stuff about the history of the character well that it sounds to me like like we're calling on cosmo here but it, it's a wonderful theory it is utterly a wonderful theory but what we should do now is maybe go to our, our phone lines and see what folk have got to say about the last week in Ambridge. But first, um, somebody else would like to send us in um, a speak pipe call, maybe for next week, Auntie Kerry. How do they do that? So if you would like to sing us a Dumpty Dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call us or leave us a message on SpeakPipe on DumptyDum.com. Hello, Ambridge 3962. First up, it's our Sue. Hello, it's Siri here, Queen Autart on the Twitters. I just wanted to say, I feel like I ought to be nice to Shula. And that's a really weird experience. I'm really not comfortable with the idea that she has stopped her martyred sanctum and has become somebody who actually talks some sense. It's just wrong. But she did talk sense to Kirsty. Kirsty is in serious danger of jeopardising everything that's going on. And I had to agree with everything that Shula said. So, you know, it can happen. I can change my mind. But I'm sure she'll do something to annoy me next week. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> it always feels really peculiar, doesn't it, when Shula actually speaks sense? Uh, thank you, Sue. I do think, however, that the way Shula did it meant that Kirsty just willfully ignored it completely. <laughs> she Shulaed it up anyway. Yeah. Just by different means. Exactly. So, I don't know, it's just, if it had been anyone else saying those words about the fact that you're alleviating your misplaced guilt and you will be obstructing this criminal investigation and so on, Penny might seem to drop 
the last thing Kirsty would want to do is jeopardise um, justice being delivered, I think, at this point. Um, but how Shula kind of attacked her didn't really work, did it? And she's, yeah. So, yeah, and then Kirsty's going to go off and, and uh, probably visit Philip, I think. Well, I'm going to try and do something quite vile and unpleasant, something I've never tried to do before. I'm going to try and channel my inner Shula and try and tend to sue's needs as you know part of our extended dumpty dum flock mm-hmm. um so you don't need to um stop disliking shula because shula wasn't, op- <laughs> she wasn't operating out of concern for kirsty she wasn't trying to be a loving or caring person it was all motivated by you know she was terrified of one being forced to go back and see um philip two about having to break the law about it was all about the effect it would have on her the fact that she ended up giving the correct advice to kirsty is, is almost a byproduct i i i'm afraid i was i saw everyone sort of um, jumping on the Shula is the um, the clock that's right twice a day, you know, bandwagon, and I just I rejected it. No, she it was it was a bonus that she got to give some good advice to Kirsty. That was my takeaway. The best bit about all of that was that Kirsty not once but twice butted in to when Shula was speaking and sort of went, Shula, can I stop you? Uh, I'm not having a go. I just want to chat. Uh, and then a little bit later said, uh, Sorry, can I just tell you what I'm thinking? Because Shula was again taking over the whole conversation and not listening to the person she's talking to. You know, when you have a tweet that takes off a little bit, um, you know, I think my we've talked about this before, you know, Kerry's record is in the high thousands and Royfield and I have kind of like maybe managed a couple of, you know, 300ers in our time. Um, I made a little self-deprecating joke that maybe I maybe you should interrupt me some more on this. Um, tell me to shut up on, on <laughs> Dumpty Dum Kerry. And my phone went berserk with people agreeing with me. Um, sort of ping, ping, ping. Yeah, you know, no, no, agreeing with you when you said you probably should um, uh, probably interrupt. It was, you know, it was a little bit upsetting. Uh, so anyway, so first of all, I will try to be less interruptible or more interruptible, whichever one's better. And also, sorry, Kerry, for talking over you and and being an, an you know a rude partner. <laughs> You're not. Just, just, just whilst you pair sort out who should talk over who. Right, I'm just going to go go back just very, very slightly. Mm. Kirsty's having a breakdown. Yes. And she's been manic. And, and Kirsty's always been about an ethical truth. She came into the show being an eco-warrior, you know, justice for the planet, not being polluted with... She was, she was the GM crops for Chester. That's how she met Tom. That yeah. was her first storyline. So... She's always been the side of – so it never made sense for me that she ended up with Philip because Philip uh, was a huntsman. Whether you agree with the hunt or not, if you believe in you know that GM crops are bad and you're protesting about that, et cetera, et cetera, you're not going to line up with somebody who goes on a hunt, full stop. Ethically, it's just too much for you, but whatever. But it makes sense now that she's so horrified about what Philip has done. She can't just self-flagellate in the way that the rest of the village have done. Not only was she so close to the person who perpetrated this evil, it's so against every fibre in her body. So she's spinning out of control. And I thought it was it was apt, it was good, that it was Shula that says, you know what, Mrs, you need to calm down a bit here. You can't be running off all over Borsetshire and all over Middle England trying to find these people you are spinning out of control she didn't quite use those words but she did also 
she did moan about the effect on her first as well. She did reference, you know, she's like, oh, you expect me to use my clerical training? Like she's, you know, being applied to the SSAS or something. But she but Shul was actually right, though. Shul was actually right. It was some B-list, C-list movie plot line that uh, Kirsty was trying to foist upon. Sure, that you know, you go in there, put your dog collar on, pump Philip for the information. You know, you won't see it coming, type of thing. You get right. his confidence, then you come out. It was yeah. utter nonsense, but and she needed someone... a reality trick. Yeah, she True. did. Yeah. She did. But if someone is saying that sort of crazy stuff to you because they're in a state, what you don't do is shout at them, sort your life out. Do you remember the, the nutter who attacked the terrorist at Glasgow Airport and he was like half-cut nutter with a history of violence, attacks someone who's kind of like on his turf? Yes, he did the right thing and he thwarted a terrorist attack and he should get applause, applause and um, you know be commended for that. But his motives in that moment were not necessarily, didn't necessarily match the noble um, end product. And I would say the same thing for Shula. She did the right thing, but it's, you know, it's a byproduct of her trying to be selfish and try and look after herself. Wouldn't it have been great if she just sort of calmly said, right, let's have a chat about this. You know, you're not really thinking straight and I can understand why that might be. But I'd love to be wrong yeah. because I think she, what, what needs to happen is that if Shula wants to, because a lot of the, the plot over the last couple of weeks has been about Shula agonising about whether she should be a priest or not and her failure to actually execute in practice what she's, she's hoped to do in theory or been talking about, you know, in theory. Mm. And so I hope when, when because obviously the, the the words that rang in our ears on the, at the end of Thursday was Kirsty saying, well, I'm just going to have to sort it out myself. Yeah. Now, if Shula is true to her um, her hopes and wants to prove me and other anti-Shularites wrong, then over the next couple of weeks we'll hear how she works diligently to prevent that mm. and to confront Kirsty again and again and again. But that's not going to happen because she's Shula. I, I think you, Pear, are letting your Shula hate cloud you to the fact that... Guilty, guilty, guilty. Shula's journey with Christianity and, and meeting God, as I've said before, the last time uh, all three of us were on the show, is the most Christian of stories. The best Christians are those that always question their faith and question whether they are good enough, right enough, and, and, and understand the path that they're on. So putting the Shula Hebden Lloyd, put her to one side, uh, but actually her path to to the Lord, to the good book, whatever, is actually incredibly Christian. And as I said before, though I didn't underline it, somebody who's half of my family, Seventh-day Adventists, who are tub-thumping evangelicals, they never question anything. They look at the Old Testament and they say it's all gospel pun completely intended. They look at the New Testament, which contradicts half of the Old Testament with a new way of looking at uh, the word from on high and they and they see no no contradiction in it at all they see themselves as uh, anointed beings and and Shul is not like that so when you talked before peter about the fact that she's a she pushes her christianity onto people she, she absolutely doesn't she's forever saying she's not worthy why does she believe what she believes and she falls down all the time which 
in the, in the New Testament, and this is coming from a Buddhist, it's all about doubting Thomases. It's about souls on the road to Damascus. It's about people who question their faith and make mistakes all the time. It's the most Christian of past that she's on. And I just think you pair a mean. You mean, no, mean, we're not. mean, I'm just, mean, we're just mean. simply presenting the evidence to you of her shouting, sort your life out. If you want to call that a mistake, <laughs> if, you want to call that a, if you want to call that a Christian mistake, you can call it that if you wish. But I think she handled mm-hmm. it badly. Mm, well, she did Sue also. Sue was in a crisis and we've looked after her. We've given Sue a way of, um, of uh, letting her dislike of Shula and her approval of what Shula's message live coalesce together in her head. And <laughs> oh, you're welcome, Pete. Sue. And Royfield rejected you in your hour of need and we have looked after you. Well, I tell you, right, there's utterly no question that we dislike this next caller in her. It's Matthew Weir. Pure oh, love. God. Greetings all Dumpty Dummers, Royfield and lovely co-hosts. It's Matthew here in northern Portugal, where we are in the middle of carnival, and I'm sunning myself in the front garden in my carnival costume, fashioned entirely from locally sourced pampas grass. The big reveals for me were as follows. Adam keeps a not-so-secret supply of Ian's salted caramel ice cream for when he's really stressed out. Perhaps Ian could turn his artisan ice cream skills to helping other stressed-out village folk with bespoke flavours tailored to their needs. A pizza whiskey flavour for Jazzer whenever Trazer hits one of its off phases. A comforting generic soup flavour for Neil to relieve his constant state of bewildered disbelief at everything. And for Tom and Natasha, perhaps a chicken katsu flavour for every time one interferes in an active police investigation and the other feels compelled to dob them into Dirty Harrison. Now, all-round good egg and future UN Secretary-General Emma made peace with Alice and reassured her that although labour was painful, she would have Chris there in the room with her, with both seemingly forgetting that the sound of hammering horseshoes in a hospital ward is not always the most soothing of experiences. And last week, Echo reporter Rebecca hit the journalistic jackpot when she stopped off in the village shop for a quarter to five wine purchase and in doing so made contact with Ambridge's very own deep throat Susan Carter. And while there was some initial sense of poetic justice that Susan was feeling the negative effects of gossip, The online bullying and trolling drew more sympathy from me. And if we are to see the people of Ambridge hoisted by their own petard, I can think of better options. Kenton tripping and falling into a pen of vengeful pecking peacocks. (laughs) Russ being knitted into the wall of Lower Loxley, poesque as some kind of permanent exhibition piece. (laughs) And after an incident at Bridge Farm, Helen being pursued through the country lanes, Indiana Jones style, by a marauding boulder of Borsetshire Blue. Ciao, Genji. Stay safe. (laughs) Obrigado. I had a question to ask Matthew during the week, so I I pinged him a a DM, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to give context. He sent some pictures of him uh, earlier on, you know, him when he was a bit younger. He's he's painfully good looking as well. He's a, you know, he's a triple threat. He's got the looks, the brains, the humour. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. I mean. And he can cook. And And yes, and he can cook. So all of those, any any culinary net references are coming from a a body of, a, a deep body of work. Yes. The but, image of a giant boulder of Borsetshire blue <laughs> rolling yeah. after Helen. And never quite catching her. Fantastic. Never quite. Yeah. <laughs> there's a cracking, um, there's a good cheese rolling um, uh, documentary on Netflix that's quite watchable. I mean, it's nothing It's nothing deep or spectacular or particularly um, sort of um, worthy, but it's, you know, if you if you need something to watch while you're doing some cooking, it's, it's, it's worth, a, worth mm. a, a gander. Do you know what it's called? 
anything? No, I'm. I'm that's, there can't I'm, be that many though, can there? <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it shouldn't be too. It shouldn't be too big a search. Mm. Uh, the artisan ice cream flavors were great as well, obviously. And yeah, the irony of Susan getting negative vibes from gossip about her, the trolling. Yeah, I mean, she is the world's worst. Normally, I'm always projecting my ignorance onto these situations, but I mean, Kerry, I, don't, I haven't had the chance to say this to you, but I've suffered from some trolling this week, and it's actually been Dumpty Dum related. Oh. Um, and obviously, everyone knows that every week I try my best and I try and do tweet of the week. Some of you might not make it that far into the podcast, but <laughs> um, you know, towards the end, I do do a tweet of the week um, section. And um, Andrew Horn launched a quite vicious attack on me and other people jumped on on board to say that they thought I was um, subpar and um, also not, you know, keeping a standard standards that have been set before. So I apologise and I will try and do my best later. Peter, shall we report this to the police? No, no. To be honest, it was... It should be illegal the way I was treated, but unfortunately, <laughs> um, with these countries, this country's rather old-fashioned sort of um, views, it's not illegal yet. Oh, mm. there you go. And Royfield, I'm sorry you had to hear that as well. It's it's quite upsetting. From uh, Peter's anguish and Matthew mm. Weir in North Portugal, we moved to uh, West Sussex, where I, I I went to go to college. It's Queen Bee by the Sea. Hello, first time caller in up, Queen Bee by the Sea here, aka Karen from West Sussex. My archers vintage is 1998 when I started catching the archers during a long commute. The moment that sealed my fate as a lifetime archers fan was when Tony found John dead beneath his Fergie. His heart-wrenching words to his beautiful cold boy were so shocking and so moving that I couldn't quite believe what had happened. Also in 1998, Being a similar age to Kate, I felt a certain affinity to her and her pregnancy story. Unfortunately, she failed to mature at the same rate as me. (laughs) Anyway, as Kate gave birth to Phoebe at a festival that year, I think I am a Phoebe. I'm waiting for her character to develop and perhaps show some signs of the early disruptions she suffered in childhood, with first Kate and then Hayley moving away. But the reason for my calling in today was to talk about other women in the Archers recently. It has been heartening to hear a sisterhood developing as they start to support each other more. Natasha standing beside Kirsty, Shula imparting her wisdom in a firm but kind manner. I hope Kirsty took it that way. And now Emma and Alice putting their differences behind them for the sake of peace and the new baby. I wonder if, with support, Alice will keep off the booze and perhaps in time devote herself to children with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, whether her own baby is afflicted or not. We have here believable women characters with flaws and problems, but all doing their best. Thanks for the wonderful podcast. Bye. Ah, Karen, well done for being a first time caller in um, yeah. It's quite a brave thing to do. So well done. And a really good call as well. I think... Um, Yes, the sisterhoods that are developing. I just remembered when you were talking about that, that a long time ago I did call out that I thought Alice and Emma would become really good friends and everyone was like, no, 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 that can't possibly ever happen. Um, so I, I am really pleased to see that that has happened and that Emma bit the bullet and tried to make amends. She was pushed towards that little in a good way by Peggy, wasn't she? Yeah. It was sort of subtly saying, you know, we all need to be supportive and so on and it made Emma have a right good think. 
That was very, it was delicious how, how that was set up and scripted, wasn't it? You were kind of like, oh, you know, really on the edge of your seat waiting to see if one of them would break and say, oh, by the way, you know, and you just hint at the, the, the problem mm-hmm. that we all know is there, um, you know, simmering underneath. Yes. The Peggy thing, it, it was really interesting, wasn't it? I think she's done a very good thing there and Peggy is capable of doing that. She, mm. Someone else on Twitter said about how interesting it is that Peggy is very sort of um, double-sided, if you like. She she does these really great things, clever things, like, and then she does those awful, awful things like the message to Tony. I think she's quite practical, she, isn't she? She sort of mm. sees things. She sees things very much in a um, how can I resolve these problems kind of way. So she's asked to talk about Tony. So she's talked about Tony, and she probably hasn't really thought about the consequence. She's good at she's good at sorting out problems. She's not necessarily good at sorting out um, people's feelings. Um, might be a way of a I way see. Of yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good. Yeah. And and I, I was also thinking about how good it was to hear Emma able to talk to um, Peggy after the the shame of going around with her, you know, begging bowl out. Yeah. And the fact that Peggy was able to sort of sort of move past that. And of course, of course it makes sense. Of course Peggy wouldn't hold a grudge and would probably feel nothing but sympathy. But mm-hmm. I, I it made me admire Emma all the more that she's able to sort of move past that. Because I, I mean that would crush a lot of people. I had to name my favourite three characters um mm. the other day and Emma was top. And, and then I thought about the other two, but Emma went straight and it was so easy. She's you know she's likable, she's funny, she's clever, um she's dogged, um she's moral without being too pompous i just adore her mm. do you mm. adore emma royfield i think I, I i appreciate her more than adore her mm. i think like the majority of the uh main characters uh she's human so you know emma's got a temper but we forgive her a temper because of the other attributes that she, that she brings and peggy is incredibly human. So on one hand, she can be um, a support and be quite sympathetic. And what was great about seeing those pair together or hearing those pair together this week was the fact that they both had a bit of knowledge, which they weren't aware that the other one had, that you yeah. know, Alice is an alcoholic. And that was just so brilliantly played between the pair of them, that they mm. they came right to the edge but didn't betray confidences, not knowing that the other one already knew. Yeah. Um, but but no, no. So if the question is, do I um, – do, is Emma one of my favourite characters – Maybe, probably, but I just, I just love the fact that she's human, and that's the reason why you know mm. I tune into this thing on on a weekly basis. Because, you know, they're just well crafted characters. As somebody who uh, spent two years of my life in West Sussex, I want to know exactly where you live, Queen Bee by the Sea. Is it Goring by Sea, Durrington? Uh, are you in Worthing? Are you in Littlehampton? Are you in Bognor? Where are you? Which one of those are you going to start up an unnecessary feud with? I mean, you've already got half of Southampton trying to take you down. So is it Worthing you're trying to to, to go to to war with now, or is it? I've got great affection for Worthing, sir. I've got great affection for Southampton, but I think you know my point about Southampton still stands. Oh God, still stands. Still stands. Still stands. But anyway, that's Hampshire talking about West Sussex. Lovely county, full of old people, but it's a lovely place anyway. Arundel, maybe she's from Arundel. Who knows? Who knows? Call in next week, Queen Bee. Oh, no, you can't be from Arundel because that's not by the sea. Mm. Mm. Bogner. I reckon it's Bogner. 
Let me know whether I'm right or wrong, Queen Bee, by the sea. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now we go across to the Emerald Isle. It's Jen in Ireland. Greens, Royfield, Kerry and Peter. It's Jen in Ireland. Just a brief call. We had two animal or potential animal events this week in Ambridge. We had Shula who turned up to have her love-in with Neil, allegedly on a horse, but no coconuts. Where have all the coconuts gone? No clippy-cloppy, no nice little whiffly noises, no horse at all. Neil even had to turn around and say, have you been for a ride, Shula? Just to establish that there was a horse even existing. We didn't even get to hear if it was banjo or not. Very disappointing. Then we got to hear Chris knocking hell out of a piece of metal. Now, okay, it could be a giant 
horrific skyscraper of a bird table or some bizarre other project, art project, an oak tree made out of metal for the environment or something. <laughs> but we were led to believe it could also be a horseshoe. And usually we'd have had a little clip clop in the background, but no, not a sausage. I think it's just sad. I think when I started thinking about it, we realised that the pets in Ambridge have all taken a back seat, which is a very strange thing because in lockdown, pet ownership has really gone up. Everybody's really relying on their little buddies. And yet in Ambridge, do we hear from Linda's llamas? No, can't remember the last time she went for a walk with a dog. We haven't heard Ben's dog in ages. Webster could have come out when Tracy was round and jumped out and had a little comedy coitus interruptus by tarantula moment no hardly anyone has a pet and those that are around we're really not hearing from which is quite strange in a country village pets would be a nice safe thing they're not no they are affected by brexit a little bit but it would be a kind of agricultural ish storyline that we could have to replace the actual farming which has gone completely out the window um so just i'm starting my campaign for more animals in ambridge Tim Oti could start pressuring Ed to steal puppies to order as part because that would be a Brexit relevant because uh, that's that's part of the to, to build on what um, APC was saying uh, that you know that's be, there's been the boom in pet ownership but there's also been a lot of stealing to order hasn't there yeah. since the cost of dogs went up so Ed in t- uh, Tim Oti's thrall although he did report him to the police but anyway some kind of silly plot line around about dogs maybe, being stolen maybe they have already all been stolen and yeah, that's, that's why, why there aren't any. Them. You'd think they'd mention, wouldn't they, my dog's been stolen as part of the script. Wonderful Vince buys um, Elizabeth a beautiful little um, cockapoo or something and then it's stolen to order and then then, then we get to see the dark side of Vince that's been threatened, the Vince that we heard about at the meet, you know, down at the market, the Vince that we heard about through the various rumours, you know. Like was it um, Eddie said that he was, you know, he had, a, he had a nasty side to him and it's on the hunt for Elizabeth's cockapoo we finally get to see Meaty Macy, Ooh. Meaty Casey, yeah. Lots of people have said about the lack of pets in Ambridge over the years, uh, but but uh, I think Jen is making sh- making the point that it's even more pronounced now. The editors are not going to thank any of the scriptwriters for adding enormous amounts of foley work and continuity work to any um, any family. So each pet, you know, Webster's a silent pet. So they can refer to him. He's something that, you know, if he gets forgotten, fine. If he comes into the plot, then great. But um, adding, you know, like, you know, that mm-hmm. peacock, that's a whole load of heavy lifting and work. And it is, they have to discuss, is the peacock in the pub today? Can we hear him? Which part of the pub are they in? Each one of these animals creates a kind of a cascading effect through the script writing yeah. process. But they're not even talking about them, are they? Not even referring to them, really. Yeah. I mean, Shula was sitting on an animal that made no noise. Uh, if, if every listener was me, it wouldn't matter. But you've got um, people like Jen out there who, you know, are, are, I mean, if you if you read Jen's tweets yesterday, she's been quite quite emotionally bruised by the lack of. It was quite, <laughs> she was quite passionate yesterday on Twitter about the lack of pet noise um, on the show. So you know, they need to they need to add pets and make mm, them noisier. Because Lillian had a dog, didn't she? Ruby. Yeah, and Ben's got a dog. Yeah, a lack of dogs in a farming community has been much commented upon. Well, David's got two dogs, hasn't he? I think. He's got two dogs, that he working dogs, that he takes out into the fields. Ben's cha- training, I want to say Jess is the name Bess. of the dog. Bess. Um, he's training her up and she was doing well, but he's you now he's trying to transist her into being a working dog. And you've got Ruby. What other ones are there? 
I don't um, really hear about them though. Oh, that Linda's Linda's dog died, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's the whole thing about uh, dogs. Linda saying you got to judge a dog by its backside. Remember? Yes. <laughs> Which reminds me, folks, dumpty dogs. What we need you to do, being as we are talking about dogs, uh, take a picture of your pooch, and uh, hashtag is dumpty dog. Uh, we had a wonderful thread uh, a couple of years ago, and this went on for a good month or two. Uh, let's revive it because we had our good man in Mogadishu, who's doing great work down there, who uh, took a picture of his dumpty dog uh, last week. And um, a few of you have uh, revived the thread. So let's keep it going, whether it's on the Flick app or whether it's on the Twitters. Uh, hashtag dumpty dog, take a picture of your pooch. And if you've got um, another pet, who deserve to be, uh, you know, up there in lights, um, hashtag and whack them on also. So there you go. Uh, as okay. I said, we're going to talk about dumpty dogs, and that's what I have done. Uh, go on, Peter. No, I just, and this is said with, with 100% affection and, and not criticism, but that's your most Alan Partridge uh, monkey tennis moment since I've been on Dumpty Dum. That's awesome. Sense. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just to let people know uh, that this is a living and breathing podcast, Queen Bee by the Sea, she's actually on the Flick app, right now and she just said on the flick app i have just done my very first caller in era for dumpty dum and i've gone omg you're doing it literally as your call has just gone out and we've just wondered well really me uh <laughs> where exactly you are from in west sussex and she said shoreham so uh -huh. barely west sussex you know and she said i'm about to move to brighton so she's practically practically in hove as it is if you're in shoreham but there you go so question was asked on this show it was answered on the flick app and there you go folks the virtuous loop that is the community of dumby dum queen bee by the sea lives in shoreham there you go. Stunned silence from my co-hosts. So, yeah, I was going to say wise move to go from Shoreham to Brighton. And then I thought that wasn't a very nice thing to say about Shoreham. So I shut up. And now mm. I've said it. I've done it, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's well, out there. Brighton, Brighton is unimpeachably and notoriously a nice place to be. So I don't think, you know, saying it's worse than Brighton is not that much of a slam. Shoreham's <laughs> mm -hmm. sure not bad anyway. Yeah. It's no Catford, but it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, it's it's no Catford, uh, the memorial uh, that will be forever chiselled on the tomb of that town. Now, uh, it's Red Agnes. She's from up north. Good evening, Dumpty Dummers. It's Red Agnes here. Uh, can I start by saying thank you ever so much, Royfield, for the cracking programme about modern slavery? And I was feeling a little bit uncomfortable about whether they're just exploited or modern slaves. And it was interesting to see the nuance that you put on that uh, with the two experts. Thank you very much. Uh, I normally do any other business, but this week, what did I have to say? Um, you were... In my queue of things to do after my lateral flow test, where I have to stick something up my nose twice a week, really unpleasant. Uh, I also had to clean out my rodents, but you didn't really need to know that. Um, <laughs> does anybody else, after the end of the Archers, want to say, the Archers re was recorded in our Pebble Mill studios and the producer is Vanessa Whitburn, or is that just me? <laughs> oh, and by the way, this week, what did I notice? It was one of those bugger me moments when I was listening to... Um, a different podcast, clearly on the BBC, because why would it be anywhere else, about the Battersea poltergeist. And who did I espy but Tony Archer as a spiritualist exorcist? 
<laughs> Can that be right? Is that what he's actually doing when he's pretending to be uh, playing with his model trains? I'm sure we'd have to leave that to the likes of Witherspoon to suss that one out. But I can see it going there. Anyway, look after everybody. See you soon. Bye-bye. Uh, it's funny you've mentioned the Battersea Porter guys because Rosie Porty was WhatsApping about listening to that, wasn't she, uh, Peter, today? And she noticed Tony Archer cropping up. I didn't know he was playing a spiritual exorcist, so <laughs> added detail there. I should listen. I want. I want to hear. I want to hear the actor's range. There's a good point about the most hated characters having to be acted well. So Shula again, you know, won't won't go on too much about it. But yeah. yeah. And and Alice Alice is uh, the the scene with Emma and Alice was beautifully acted and I think Alice is the actress so actor playing sorry I, that's actually one of the things I'm bad at I need to tidy that up the actor who plays Alice has done a great job of playing her all the different shades of her the obnoxious yeah. person the kind of loving guilty version the sort of you know the stuck all the different shades of Alice have been very well um, brought to the microphone. What did you think about when she was given a cheque for two and a half grand and sort of was really gutted she couldn't spend it on nice things <laughs> and had to stay off the You and I had a rare disagreement about that, didn't we? Because I, I, yeah. I felt that her guilt came through quite strongly and and you, I think, were a lot more... And I, well, I can, you can speak for yourself. Well, I just think as an initial reaction to having been given two and a half grand, it was a bit of a moan. Um, yes, later she did say um, she felt bad that Brian didn't even know about the detoxing. Yeah, but like you know, you, uh, Kerry, you, you, you're everyone has their own kind of like you know um, uh, units of of how to work out if something's expensive or not. Kind of, I very shamefully, yeah. I always think in terms of pints, like London pints. So it's like, oh, that's ten London mm-hmm. pints worth or something. You know, for you, it's um, stuffed bacon pockets or something, or you know, watercolors <laughs> or whatever. It is. You know, but like she, she's grown up, and that's like, oh, that's two ponies. Wow, Daddy has been very generous. Yeah, I just think it's a shame. Like you'd, you'd be like, "Wow, our debts are being paid off. We're back to square one. It's cleared our slate." Yeah, the the, the gratitude that you feel is in the, is is then exactly in balance to how guilty you feel because it's like because it shows you how much money it was. Yeah, she was ill. She was ill. Yeah, why why should she be ahead of the curve, um, ahead of society's curve when it comes to kind of understanding that's an illness? I mean, society in general, there's still a lot of uh, people don't think you know gambling is a um, an illness. They don't, you know, but people mm. people people are still trying to send their kids for for gay conversion therapy. So you know, why should she why should she be ahead of ahead of the rest of us on that one? True. Mm. Just to throw my two penneth in into Alice, but really this is Alice and Chris. I think it's significant that. Uh, Chris had his hand trapped in, in the van door because she rushed to be by his side because I remember uh, when this whole storyline kind of like kicked off last summer, I questioned her real uh, affection for Chris. Uh, but I can put all of those thoughts really to one side. Uh, you really did see that um, she yeah. cares for him as much as he cares for her. And, yeah, and I, I think I, that was... It was a really creative way to get out of dinner with with Gran, wasn't it? As well, I thought. Props yeah, to him. Well, I, I I remember. Didn't you have like a new sort of young thrusting upstart Dumpty Dummer kind of come on the show then? Who said right all the way back then that he said that he thought there was a, a real connection between Alice and um, Chris, and you were wrong. I don't know. I can't remember exactly, but whoever it was, well done, that man. Right. <laughs> all right. Now, last caller in a row. 
It's our Audrianne, and she's in North Carolina. Hello, this is Audrianne calling in again. I was just struck this week by the way Kirsty was going around, or the way she is going around, asking everybody for help to try to find the lads. Reminds me a lot of when Emma was going around trying to find money to buy her house. That's all I got. Yeah, it is kind of similar, isn't it? Yeah, and what, why why did I feel sick to my stomach when Emma was doing it and I'm just annoyed when Kirsty's doing it? Why is that? I mean, with Emma, it went on for longer. It was more, she went around more people. Uh, she was in a much more desperate sounding state overtly to these people and was literally begging for money, wasn't she? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it did feel... I felt worse for her, for Emma, than I do for Kirsty when she's trying to do what she's doing now. But but logically, logically, we should feel a thousand times worse for Kirsty, shouldn't we? I mean, the, her situation is, um, yeah, you know, it's it's by several factors worse. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it's is it it's, because. You you mentioned Peter um, on WhatsApp about Kirsty still sort of kind of seeming like she, I know we've talked earlier about her having a breakdown, but she's still sort of apparently together in inverted commas, isn't she? It, the full sort of meltdown hasn't occurred yet, has it? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously. I don't, I mean, I'm not an expert in these things, but, you know, the what's the cliche? You have to go through denial and then anger and all this sort of stuff. So she's she's in one of these phases and people more knowledgeable than me will sort of understand why and where she's going with it. But the Emma plot line was happening in isolation. It was, you know, there was no one else suffering and so it sat on its own and it was, so it was particularly poignant, set in relief to everything else that was going on. Um, it's not so it's not necessarily a comment on Kirsty, just kind of, you know, we don't have anything left. So we've had months and months and months of caring about her and worrying about her. And then we're rewarded by yet more concern and more worry. Yeah. I wonder how it's gonna go when she does visit Philip, which I presume is what she's going to do. And uh it's taken me this long to say I cannot wait for this plot line to be over. I am sick to death of it. <laughs> I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I you know, Bring Alice back. Bring back the bathroom. Maybe she's going to go and find Gavin instead of go and visit Philip. Uh, you see, okay, fine. I would take it back. I would be very. I would fully support that. She goes off. She finds Gavin. They have it out, um, and then you know there was lots of weird theories about them getting together. So that can happen as well. Why not throw it all together? Mm. But yeah, I, I mean, it would be lo- it, not lovely. It would be from a from purely from a listener's enjoyment point of view. It would be nice to hear from Gavin. But, um, you know, just to change things up a bit. Yeah. Mm. Uh, just this has given me a pause uh, to remind me this one thing I, I did want to say. Um, as is my want, I throw in things which I'm watching on TV. There is the an utterly brilliant 10-part uh, series called Your Honour. Now, I don't know what channel it's on in the UK. Um, I think it's HBO over here in America land, so it's probably going to end up being Sky Atlantic. But if you can, uh, please watch it, uh, Your Honour. It's Brian Cranston, who was the dude from Breaking Bad, and he plays a judge, and it's set in New Orleans. And um, his son gets involved in, in a car accident, and he's a judge, uh, Brian Cranston. 
and it's how the protagonist has to compromise and he's a liberal do-gooding judge as well so how he has to compromise his ethics step by step to protect his son 10-part series it's called your honor it's a tour de force in terms of multi-layered writing uh, i must admit episode 10 so it's just finished was yesterday and um the very last scene for me was somewhat um unsatisfying but that doesn't detract away from 10 cracking hours worth of drama so whatever channel it's on in the uk or around the world because obviously we do have listeners uh, all over planet dum de dum uh your honor with brian cranston it's utterly brilliant uh you'll you'll enjoy it and how the protagonist almost becomes the antagonist and has to compromise so talking about legal systems made me think of your honor uh Auntie Kerry, do we have any emails with an H? We do. We have two. Um, the first one is from Jeff, and he says, "How many elephants?" It's like the start of a joke. Um, <laughs> How many elephants can the archers ignore and still pretend to be current farming life based? Of course, COVID, it seems to be omnipresent in most work or family conversations, but nothing in the archers except indirect economic effects. There are so many possibilities missing. Farmers working around rules, decisions in families on who is bubbling and who is excluded. Brexit, trying to send sausages to France. Neil, convinced Brexiteer. Ben, European. Brian changing his mind, rouse in the family. It seems almost cowardly how the script avoids issues that really divide people, but that are central to Britain today. You can be better, but I still like Dumpty Dum, he said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, t- I mean, I, I don't know how we can talk about that with, um, without me actually going completely bananas with, with rage, um, you know. Do it. Uh, just well. First of all, uh, you know, uh, anyone who thinks defund the BBC, you go stuff yourselves. You're idiots. Um, you know that. Uh, anyway, so I'm not. When I say when I'm, what I'm about to say is not an attempt to jump on some kind of defund the BBC bandwagon, but it's it's a BBC show, so they can't possibly criticise Brexit because they have to have balance. So they would have to have some other character waiting and going. Well, oh, of course, we've also benefited benefited with that trade agreement with japan or something it so they so that's first of all they can't do brexit because it's the bbc and no one's talking about it we will have to pretend it's been amazing and then this, this, then the, the other problem i have with the um everyone getting upset about the covid crisis is it's the archers it's never been anything like real life anyway so why are we suddenly holding it to um scrutiny with this ever-changing constantly um evolving uh, disease and and also they've they're also held to an, an, another standard which is keeping up with the conservative government the conservative government can't keep up with the conservative government so why should the script writers of the archers especially with a three month um delay involved uh, that rant over i hope i made some sense you did yeah good point mm. yeah it, it it is tricky for them isn't it you know like um, peggy sitting in the well outside the cafe with the patio heater. So they sort of make little illusions here and there in a sort of broad stroke way, which is all they can really do, isn't it, I think? You know, if they put out something different in, it will change by the time we're hearing it. So our second email, maybe you'll get as 
animated about this one. <laughs> it's not broccoli and Stilton soup, is it, Kerry? That's my other trigger. It's Bloody pineapple. hell, I could go off on that one, yeah. Pineapple on pizza. Uh... <laughs> I, I can get across about that, but for totally unexpected reasons, yeah. <laughs> I love it, by the way. Anyway, so it's not about that. This is from Josh, and um, he says... I considered holding off on sending this email until Philippa was co-hosting again, but I don't want to push our luck after our young Keith's call, so I'll sneak it in this week if I'm not too late. But not as a tweet, just in case it's accidentally amusing. I wouldn't want to be caught in the middle of that. (laughs) Back to young Keith's call, though. We clearly have an editor in the making with a strong set of storylines for the next season of Ambridge Extra. Perhaps it should be called Ambridge at Night. Or perhaps Blue Borsetshire would be better, since the scriptwriters seem to be stuck using the 1958 precursor of Urban Dictionary. I mean, Ménage à Trois. However, I'm quite sad to report that a quick visit to the Archers page on the archive of our own website reveals a paltry 13 pieces of fan fiction. None of them seem to originate from young Keith's mind. But there's one story that might help some see Adam in a different and more colourful light. Surely, though, this must be a rallying call for all prurient listeners to find their keyboards and march after young Keith. Other fan fiction archives are also available. That's Josh in the Pacific Northwest. First of all, absolutely lovely place to be, Pacific Northwest. Unbelievably beautiful. Um, I loved young Keith's call last week. And yeah. um, I was uh, um, I was shocked and dismayed at you know um, how uh, the effect it had on poor Philippa, all, all the talk of sploshing and what was the other thing sploshing and dogging and um, and yeah threesomes yeah I don't you know I don't want to rake over old ground it, it happens in a real world why shouldn't it happen in Ambridge and yes we should all we should all embrace that yeah and and he's actually referring back to Adam having done something quite colourful as well isn't it was that in the fan fiction. I, think. I couldn't really tell. Well, he said it was in the archives. Maybe. Do you think someone actually made Adam fun? Even Brian said that Adam isn't fun. Did Adam, sorry to be ignorant, did Adam ever have a bisexual or heterosexual phase before he came out? I can't remember. That might, I think that might have been before my time. Did he have girlfriends before he came out? Ooh, that's a good question. I... Roy Field, you're, you tend to be better at this stuff. I don't remember Adam being a part of the whole show before he came back from East Africa. Jennifer had this elder son called Adam, but he was always away from what I can remember. But there was a period in like the early 90s when I was at college when I kind of dipped out, and then in the mid-90s when I dipped out, so it's possible that then he was on Mike as a character. But he came out when he came back, so it's very plausible that he did have a girlfriend or so. But if they had him doing a threesome, you know, with a gay threesome on the show, then that would be very progressive. Um, (laughs) And I'm surprised we wouldn't remember it. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I think we would remember that one. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's pretty, I mean, the gaps between his relationships are so short. When does it, when does just overlapping relationships become a threesome? I mean, it's Charlie in, then Ian out the other door. It's like a French farce. Then what's his name? The, uh, the, the, The guy working on the farm, you know. Yeah, nipping off to one of the caravans, exactly. Yeah, busy boy. Mm. Uh, is that the end of the uh, emails? Yes, there were two. Five men in a trailer. I can't. <laughs> Bloody hell! I've got to get back to Zander. <laughs> 
Well done, sir. Uh, it's not five men in a trailer, but it is our Lillian with the social media roundup. <laughs> everybody it's Lillian here with this week's social media roundup and again what an interesting week it's been in the archers we started off with the woes of Susan and Neil after their chat with Rebecca and the fallout from that what dreadful comments on social media Witherspoon wondered whether the scriptwriters were trying to send us some sort of message about the evils of social media and the negative impact that it can have on people's lives. Mia also discussed this. In other news, people were delighted that Emma and Chris have finally made up, and also people were very touched by the scene in the tea room with Emma and Alice where they were discussing childbirth. I said that I thought it was likely that Alice... The reality of childbirth would be different for Alice than it was for Emma due to the fact that her baby could very well be damaged as a result of her drinking. But I guess time will tell about this. Sarah Spilsbury said that she thought Tony was the Mussolini of Borchester with his love of trains, but Glyn, full of love, said that he thought it was more likely that he was the Portillo of Penny Hassett. In the meantime, some people wondered whether it was likely that Justin would and Lillian would buy Grey Gables, but I think the general consensus of opinion was that this would not happen. Sandra, whilst chopping her vegetables for her curry, thought that it would be a shame if Oliver sold Grange Farm in order to save Grey Gables. She thought this would be awful because then it would put the Grundies at yet another disadvantage. Tony Gilmore observed, Peggy, being the champion of all things environmental, didn't seem to think that Emma's heater flew in the face of this. Over an academic archers, they are now gearing up for their conference, which is going to be next week. And they are doing this virtually this year. Witherspoon also advised us of the sad news that his friend and long-time Dumpty Dummer, Melissa Williams, has recently passed away. In fact, he had only recently been in touch with her as she had dropped him a note to compliment him on his most excellent social media roundup. Well, I think that just about covers everything for me. Oh, except one last thing. I have to say this. I was very, very glad to see some love for Schuler expressed. I get very irritated by the way people seem to think that they can manipulate Christians and particularly vicars, be it trainee vicars or fully fledged vicars. Everybody seemed to think that Shula's advice to Kirsty was spot on this week and that it was a pity that Kirsty wasn't ready to take this advice and is insisting on continuing to search for the lads. A lot of people are really concerned about Kirsty's mental state at this time. Well, I think that covers it for me this week. So keep safe, everybody. 
and I will speak to you again in one month's time. Bye-bye for now. There you go. Well done for that, Lillian. And I hope the builders uh, don't create too much of a mess and a disruption uh, for the next week. Doing your new kitchen, my dear. Uh, Peter Fickling, it's your time. You're up, sir. It is Tweet of the Week. Well, Royfield, we're going to have to play it a lot more straight um, this week. Um, earlier on in the show, I spoke quite emotionally about um, the attacking I received, the attack I received online, and it was actually some criticism of, of Tweet of the Week. And basically, it was a suggestion it all got a bit laddy, and they want it, they want it straight, and they want it honest, and they want it simple. I did. There was also a request for more kind of smutty end of peer humour, but um, I'm afraid that's not something I'm capable of. So I'm just going to pick three tweets. I'm going to read them out. So here we are in bronze position, as is traditional. It's actually our very own moderators at Dumpty Dum, at Dumpty Dum, who've been doing a fantastic job these last few weeks. I think we can all agree. Um, and I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to have to get into character here. Um, so you've always been a special person, Schuler, says Neil. After all, to have an entire tweet along aggravated by you when um, when they can only hear you for a few minutes e each week is something of an achievement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, which, is, which is true. So, yeah, um, they, is. yeah. And now we move along to silver position. This is Paul Truman at Paul W. Truman with an E. And he says, quite rightly, no one wants to hear um, Justin putting his spare energy into Lillian. Yes, that was a cracking line, wasn't it? <laughs> so, yes, I think that's both funny and also very, very true, and I hope it stays true. And in at gold position, number one, it's the mighty Mr. Matthew Weir, at Mr. Weir. And he says, Shula about to make this all about her in three, two, one... <laughs> Yes, there's an inevitability to that one. Exactly. Isn't <laughs> yes, he did. A, he did another one, which was uh, um, which was about uh, uh, basically Shula patiently explaining to God how things go down. But it was a, <laughs> a bit more elliptical. Um, so though I didn't get told off this week, so that's good. Um, Royfield, why, 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 why are there different rules? for some Dumpty Dummers than others. Some people have to do Hot Topic of the Week. Some people actually get you involved in the show and you're talking to them. I mean, what, how, what, how do you grade us? How do you grade how you're going to treat us and how you're going to react to us? Just so we know, knowledge is power. Well, um, you, you will know, Peter, that for some time I've talked about uh, shuffling off this mortal uh, podcast. And when there are two people talking who have a great rapport, who very obviously um, get each other, appreciate each other, like each other, um, you can just take that step back. And you, you quite simply say, hello, this is Dumpty Dum. And then you say, and that was Dumpty Dum. And you just let them get on with it. Very obviously, when there's only one person, then you have to engage much more, sir. So, um, you know, at some point, I'm going to have to uh, stop doing uh, Dumpty Dum. And I'm just getting everybody ready for that point. It's as simple as that. Uh, but if you uh, would like to take me to task, Peter to task, Kerry to task, or even just celebrate the output of this podcast you can do that by going on to dumdydum.com go on to there and you can write a comment about the episode and or uh, go on to contact us which means that you'll send an electronic missive 
back to Dum Dum Towers. It's got the shop there. Oh, I've got a lovely picture of Mia Fox in a Dum Dum baseball cap. She looked resplendent. She looked happy. Big cheesy grin. And across her cap, it said Dum Dee Dum. So that's one of the things you can do on dumdum.com. Also, you can go onto Tractor, which is the big map of the world, where you can join the social network for people that love the archers. Things you can do there, folks. Tractor, shop, and comment. There you go. Uh, now, this podcast is kept going by your kindful donations on Patreon. Patreon is a facility whereby for two measly dollars per show, uh, you keep the whole kitten caboodle here running. So go to patreon.com. And I did say last week we read out a whole list of new patrons. I promise we will do that next week. So if you've contributed to Dum Dee Dum in the last six months or so, you will get your name read out. It's going to be your moment to say, blooming hell. They, they, they do really like, you know, value me. And absolutely we do. Yes, remember to get in contact. You can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe, which you will find on the Dumpty Dum website. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. Peter mentions it. Kerry mentions it. Me much less so because I'm not very good at it. But Twitter is the spiritual home of Dumpty Dum. You can follow us where we are at Dumpty Dum. And uh, special big ups to the social media uh, team who are really doing a great job with us on Twitter utterly fantastic loads of engagement loads of retweets so thank you purple pumpkin thank you pat brown and thank you ambridge pony club those are the three stalwarts behind our dumb dumb account now auntie kerry warburton mm. how do people catch up with you on twitter i am at kerry warbis which is k-e-r-i-w-a-r-b-i-s and how about you pete fickling at pete fickling smashing we always say thanks to our social media supremos, to Cosmo for his podcast roundups, Mike Hatton for his character counts, Shambridge for her voices, and to Lucy B. Freeman. And don't forget, folks, we have a presence on Facebook. So if you like a bit of Facebook action, type in Dum Dee Dum on Facebook. Big up to the Flick at Parsi. Uh, if, you, if you like just uh, to noodle and chat about stuff um, away from the Twitters and away from the glaring big light that is Facebook. Uh, the Flick app is your companion in your pocket, in your purse, in your bag, and uh, we just talk about whatever's on there. Generally, it's not things to do with uh, the archers, but it could be what cocktail you're drinking tonight, what have you made for dinner, etc. Just go on there and um, enjoy the fun. I think that's just about being the end of this week's uh, Dum Dee Dum. Play out music. Yeah. Any suggestions? I was just thinking about this and was wondering whether you might play Paper Tiger by Beck. Because um, I've, I've been playing Beck's album and I mentioned it on Twitter and Matthew Weir and I have the same paper track on the album that I was playing and it's Paper Tiger. And he can play it on the guitar. Yeah. Uh, he really he can do it all it's very lovely it's a beautiful song right so there you go there's the play out music I do not know this piece of music at all and uh, generally what I have to do if the vocals come in too soon is to repeat the instrumental bit so it's a nice bed of music so you don't get clashing bits of, of vocals behind what I say that's probably what I'm doing right now here is Beck and what's it called Paper Tiger yes there you go See you all next week for another rip-roaring, barnstorming, block-busting episode of Dumpty Dump where we delve deep 
into the runes of the week that was in Ambridge. Ta-ra, tatty bye. Hi. I've got you a bit. Just like a paper tiger Torn apart by iron hands Through the helter skelter morning Fix yourself while you Looking through a broken diamond